0: We are, uh, we're wrapping up our summer series, as Thomas mentioned this morning. Uh, the summer series, How to Be Yourself. And um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that, I think. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've had to, to preach the last five Sundays. I'm grateful that I don't have to do anything like it for a while as well. Uh, You you have been a a really gracious community. I know that this this summer has been a little bit out of the ordinary for Covenant, uh, but you uh, are a gracious community. And for those of you who haven't been gracious, you've done it behind my back, which is great, which is a kind of grace anyways, I suppose. Um, This series has been about claiming our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God. The New Testament tells us uh, that because we are in Christ, we share Christ's identity, uh, God's love for Jesus— extends to us, it includes us, it, it kind of envelops us. We're in on the love of God in Christ. And this is the miracle of God's grace. Identity, uh, it, it's, not something, it's not something we earn, it's something that we are, we're given. And uh, it can never be, never be taken away from us. And the reason I think we need this reminder kind of again and again and again is that when we ask this question, who am I, I think often what we're really asking is, am I enough? And whether we we turn to our work, our job, whether we turn to our stuff or our things, whether we turn to the expectations of other people, uh, what we're looking for is is kind of approval, a justification. But what we often find is an accusation. Why aren't you doing more? Why don't you have more to show for yourself? Or what do people really think about me. And even in the rare instances, I think for some of us, uh, uh, that it seems the identities we've latched onto are really working for us. They're still falsifiable. They're still really flimsy, really fragile. You can lose your job. Things uh, will lose their shine. They'll wear out. And if you don't know this yet, let me break you in a little truth. Like you will fail to meet the expectations of other people at some point. You will. And what we've kind of said all along is it feels like a merciless endeavor, to say the least. And if there's any good news in what seems like our endless striving to be worthy, it's that it normally leads us to the end of ourselves. Eventually, we are ready to receive the grace that we cannot offer ourselves. And as I mentioned last week, we are using two significant moments in Peter's life to kind of explore the final two myths that have framed this series. I am nothing less than my best moment, and I'm nothing worse than, um, or I'm nothing more than my worst moment. Nothing more than my worst moment. So we're going to look at, look at today. And if there's a character in Scripture who knows what it's like to kind of come to the end of himself and be put back together again by the grace of God, it's it's Peter. The story that we're going to read in a moment is is the moment uh, between Peter and Jesus that they share on the lake shore, after uh, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. But it's 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 a moment uh, between the two that we have not yet seen, after uh, maybe Peter's worst moment when he denied Christ three times, just as Christ said he would. So I'm going to invite you to, to listen now for the word of the Lord from John's Gospel, John uh, 21 verses 9 through through 19. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are here this morning seeking a word that uh, only you can speak a word that we are hoping might free us, a word that will offer us mercy that we are unable to offer ourselves. Speak to us, we, we are listening this morning. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. My mind has been on the gift of, of Toni Morrison this week, uh, the Nobel Prize winning novelist who died uh, just this last Monday, she, uh, she told stories, great stories, stories that we, we needed to hear, stories that told the truth about pain, about injustice, about trauma. But these stories were often as well uh, also filled with mercy and with redemption. Um, with everything going on in the country right now, it, we need her now more than ever, And so this loss feels overwhelming uh, to me. I don't know about if it does for you as well. Um, What we have in her absence, what we will always have, is her beautiful use of language and uh, the way that she used that language to help us see the truth about the world and about ourselves as we inhabit it. In her award-winning novel, Beloved, she captures what being loved does to a person in uh, in some lines of dialogue in the final scene, "quote, she is a friend of my mind. The pieces I am, she gather them and give them back to me, in all the right order. The pieces I am, she gather them and give them back to me in all the right order." This was a this was a gift to read this this week again. Uh, reading these lines, I couldn't help but connect them to the story that we have just heard from from John's. Gospel, this is what Jesus is offering Peter, right? He's offering to take the pieces of Peter, the pieces broken apart by Peter's own failures, and to give them back to him, but this time in a right order. And he does it with a single question that kind of cuts right to the heart of Peter's identity. What do you love more than anything else? Of all the questions that Jesus might have had for Peter in this moment, He asks him, what do you love? What do you love more than anything else? And it would be easy for us to kind of let Peter sit on the hot seat with this question. But I wonder how you would answer. What do you love more than anything else? I wonder if you know. Or if it's what you think that you love more than anything else. I think I've shared this before, but when my my wife Abby and I uh, were married Where we were getting ready to get married, my friend Jonathan gave me a bit of odd advice. Uh, You should always have a friend in your life who gives you odd advice. Uh, But he said to me, he said, you know, John, Christians should love each other, even if they're married. And I know it's a little dark for premarital counseling. Usually (laughs) you want to, you know, break that out the third third meeting. Um, But it's some of the best advice I've ever received, because um, there's no autopilot for love. There's no autopilot for love. Who or what we love requires our daily, uh, our constant attention because over time, our love can get disordered, mixed up, scrambled. For a long time, I thought that that maybe Jesus was testing Peter about this. I thought he was kind of giving him a, a, a test as if Jesus needed for Peter to answer correctly before he fulfilled his promise to Peter to, to build the church on him. Uh, I ran across this this little entry in Mary Carr's new book, Sinner's Welcome, uh, about her resisting the idea that God would require uh, that we get down on our knees to pray. Like what God would be worthy of our worship that needed that kind of validation, she thought. She told her spiritual advisor this, who cut her off by saying, you don't do it for God. You don't do it for God. I think about that when I think about this scene. Jesus doesn't ask Peter this question for his benefit, Even Peter admits, lets us know that Jesus already knows the answers to these questions. He knows that Peter loves him. No, Jesus asked this question for Peter's benefit. What do you love? He knows that we are defined by the love we receive and the love that we offer back in return. We are loved, and we are what we love. As Ashley Noel once put it, what the mind, or what the the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. Meaning that ultimately we are what we long for. The desires that are in our hearts, the wants that we have, all of these shape who we are far more powerfully than our beliefs, than maybe even the habits we have, our willpower. It is love and what we love that orders our lives. What you love, what you give your love to will either imprison or free you, will either accuse you or accept you. And knowing this, Jesus invites Peter and by inviting Peter invites us to love him above all things. You might be thinking to yourself, I, I don't think I can do that. That seems too hard. I mean, I, I love a lot of other things, too. How do I know that I love Jesus the most? In our staff meeting uh, this week, Beth Daniel reminded us uh, of what we miss as English readers in this passage. As many of you know, in the Greek language, and Koine Greek, uh, there were at least three words for love for our one word of love. Oftentimes these these words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament with very little consequence. But sometimes, sometimes they they allow us to see something that we otherwise might not be able to see. Uh, The three words are agape, phileo, and eros. Agape is the word that we use for kind of self-sacrificial love. This is the word that, that, that describes God's love for the world. It's unconditional love. Phileo is is the uh, the mutual love that friends have for one another. And eros, as you might suspect, is the love that is shared between lovers. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He's asking him, do you agape me? And when Peter responds to him, he says, I phileo you. It's a curious exchange. Another possible translation might be, uh, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I am your friend. Jesus asks Peter again, do you agape me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. What makes this interesting is that when Jesus asks the third time, instead of using agape, Jesus changes to phileo. Do you love me? And it's a very subtle detail. Uh, but I think it has the significance to change how we understand this conversation. This is not uh, a test to see if Peter measures up, but actually one final display of mercy. He meets Peter where he is. With what you have, I can use. I can use that. It's enough for Jesus. What I love about this curious exchange is that Peter gets to kind of continue to be as honest as he always has been, right? Uh, by now, he, he kind of knows his own limitations. Maybe he knows now, based on experience, not to overcommit, right? Not to overestimate what he's actually capable of. Uh, he's learned that lesson, not to say, I would never deny you. He offers to Jesus what he can, and it is enough. All is forgiven, but there's more as well. Jesus gives him, Jesus gives him a mission the worst moment of Peter's life will actually not be what he is known for. Which is really, really good news for those of us who think uh, that our mistakes are the defining feature of our lives. There is always, always more grace in God than there is sin in us. Recently, I had the, uh, the privilege to baptize a six-year-old girl here at Covenant, um, And on the Friday leading up to her baptism, we we meet together, we met together to talk about baptism and to make sure she felt comfortable uh, in the sanctuary in front of, you know, all of you people. Uh, And to make sure, actually, she's probably comfortable with me. I've been making babies cry the last few baptisms. (laughs) Many of you are aware of this. Thank you for letting me know about how much you enjoy that. When it came time for me to to go over the questions, you know, I let her know that you're you're going to need to, to take some vows at your baptism and let her know she would have to make a couple of promises. And I asked her if she could tell me uh, that Jesus was her Lord and Savior, to which she responded, you know, yes, with the kind of assurance that only a six year old can get away with. But then I asked her if she thought she could promise to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, follow Jesus. There was something about this question that made her pause. And she looked at me and she said, I can try. And I loved it. Felt to me in that moment that she was channeling Peter, the apostle. I can try. I can try. We might change our own baptismal vows to I can try. I can try. But those three words she summarized, I think, the entire Christian life. And it seems to me that this is exactly what Peter is telling Jesus. I cannot love you like you love me. But I can try. And it is enough. Friends, this is, a, this is a story for all of us, by the way. For those of us who, who have never denied Christ and for those of us who have and maybe will again. Maybe will again. We might not ever love Jesus as he loves us, but we can try. And, and in the process of that, what we might discover, what we might discover, is that Christ has gathered the pieces of who we are the broken pieces that are, uh, are broken apart by our, our own failures. Gathers all of these pieces and he gives them back to us just like he gave them back to Peter in all the right order. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.